Hey everyone, Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged Podcast, and something you didn't know, I'm a poet. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Thanks so much, and leave a review. Welcome to the Relatively Damaged Podcast by Damaged Parents, where creative, imperfect, inspiring people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than. Like we aren't good enough. We aren't capable. We are relatively damaged. And that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There is a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me. Not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today we're going to talk with Michelle Quay. She has many roles in her life, daughter, immigrant, author, and more. We'll talk about how she overcame the struggle of being an immigrant with a disability and how she found health and healing. Let's talk. Hey everyone, Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged Podcast. And something you didn't know, I'm a poet. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Thanks so much, and leave a review. Welcome back to Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. Today, we have Michelle Quay with us. She is an international speaker, certified visibility coach, and author who empowers women in building the skill set of resiliency to overcome tragedy, bounce back, and find purpose in every challenge. I like that idea, guys. She's also the founder of Elevate Life Coaching and the author of the memoir, Perfectly Normal, an immigrant story of making it in America, an inspirational journey of overcoming adversity after an automobile accident that changed her life trajectory. Michelle was born in Taiwan and grew up in New York, but today she lives in Los Angeles with her orange short-haired cat named Toby, who's working on really taking over social media. I, I think that's true. 
I think it's true for a lot of our fur babies, <laughs> especially during the COVID time. Have you noticed? You know, I think so. And and I love watching those videos too. I can't help myself. It's like I have to stop. Yeah. It's almost like a a, sh- a very short escape from what's the real world. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And I think that's there's important. something about fur baby. Like they are unconditionally loving. They don't judge. They obviously don't talk back like kids do. <laughs> so in a sense, right? In a sense, they're just absolutely adorable. And I, I watch a lot of like fur baby photo. And sometimes I would ask my audience, hey, do you guys have dogs or cats? Please post them. Because I've every one of us need that moment of escape to just seeing something that is so pure and natural and unconditionally loving. And I think fur baby, they're really doing a great job in doing that. Maybe, maybe that's their life purpose. Right. Well, and that what a great gift to give people, I think, yeah. to ask that question, because it uh, in my mind, I'm thinking that would take me out of my usually I'm going to to social media to escape something. And if you ask that question, it's, oh, yes, I have this life over here. I don't have to live vicariously through everyone else, right? I feel it's really a great way to ask those empowering questions in terms of getting people to think, what is it that you have? What is it that you already own? And what are some of the things that you can do rather than focusing on what's going on, what, what's wrong, what's missing, what's out there, what can I get more of? So it's a complete two different mindset. And, and you help people to understand that there's so many different ways of looking at life. And we don't have to look at just focusing on what's missing. We can actually look at what we already have. Mm, it, it, I think what I hear you saying is really transitioning from scarcity mindset to abundance mindset and recognizing that I have a funny story. So one of the the kids said she was surprised. She's like, wow, I have these really nice purses. And I said, yeah, you have abundance. And she's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, hold on a second. And I just thought, wow, maybe I did that because while we had abundance financially, we struggled for a long time and, and it took shifting that. And so now I'm watching her through that journey and it's like, oh, my just if only we could see it in that moment, like, oh, if I had been 20 and seen that I really had abundance, maybe things would be different. But I don't want to depend on that. I don't want to look back and regret. There's, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like people are on their different journey. And the word abundance, I, I would say that I didn't come to that conclusion until I recognized what was I doing wrong. Yes, there's no right or wrong in doing things. But to me, in the past, I would look at what was I doing wrong? Why don't I have the money I need? Why don't I have the house I I live in? Why don't I have a lot of things? But it wasn't until later that you start to recognize and hearing the word and really truly understand what does the word abundance mean? Because I think general population, we're still thinking about abundance in the terms of money. How much are you making? If you're not making a whole lot, then you probably don't have abundance. So I think it's a redefining what does abundance mean to us personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, in my mind, I'm thinking of the difference between living from the mind and living from the heart. Am I living from the mind where I'm judging and deciding and comparing my bank accounts or my social media feed to everyone else? Or am I really living what I'm here to live in that beautiful experience of life? And 
I think you have an amazing story because you were in a car accident. So I'm wondering if you could just fill us in on, on your story, because I think your story is going to kind of teach us how you got from there to a place of really, it sounds like peace and ease. Yeah, or contentment and fulfillment. And I think, you know, looking back, so my journey began when I was 11. I had the car accident when I was 11. And as a result of that car accident, I'm permanently disabled. I've always been walking with crutches ever since I left the hospital. And, you know, when I was uh, 15, I came to this country in America. I didn't speak the language. I didn't know how to speak English. And I remember just learning English itself is, it's challenging. I don't know how to converse with people. And let alone that I was wearing uh, these uh, metal boots, uh, metal brace that my doctor had told me to wear and look very uh, clunky and they just not very appealing. And when I go to school, I was in high school already. So when I go to school, there's always a girls who dress up pretty. And I just kind of wanted to be part of that group. I want to be part of them. But number one, I don't speak their language. And number two, I look so different. So I always felt like there's something that was missing. And I kind of, you know, your podcast name is perfect because I consider myself being damaged. I am the damaged product of this society, of this earth. And how did I get here? And I, I didn't choose to be born this way. And for a long time, it just doesn't feel like there was a choice. So I'm constantly seeking for what is missing. And I'm constantly trying to keep up in terms of the success, in terms of education, in terms of all the things that I'm doing, just to prove to myself and to others that I am capable of doing things. And th there's a reason for my being here. Yeah. And I think too, I'm I just, I'm wondering did you also feel like you had to overdo on those things because there was, or what was perceived as a deficit, which I don't think is a deficit, but, but this perceived uh, socially perceived as a deficit? Yes, absolutely. So it was to the point where even though I had the doctor's degree, I, I'm a doctor of pharmacy, it still doesn't feel like I didn't achieve it. It was something that, oh, of course, you go to school and if you study well, you finish the exam, of course, you're going to get a doctor's degree. So it wasn't something that's connected. I, I feel that, well, maybe not everybody can do this. And maybe there's a reason why I'm doing this. And so I never was able to take the credit for what I have done. So th there's people who talk about this imposter syndrome, right? So there's like, controversy around whether imposter syndrome is real or not. I, I personally believe imposter syndrome is real. It is real in terms of the identity, how we identify ourselves too. And in the past, I keep identifying to the imposter syndrome. I was living, I feel like I have to prove in order to be successful or to be considered successful because there's that physical part, um, the damage part. Right. I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So you had this visible disability. And although you had these intelligences and you were able to succeed at great, I mean, you have so many degrees and certificates and it's amazing, right? You've really taken that seriously. But at the same time, it sounds like you still felt like I'm not good enough because my legs still aren't the way I think they should be. And the fact is my legs would never be the way that I wanted to be, right? My, my body image would never be seen as normal. 
I'm always going to be four feet, four inches tall. I'm never going to grow any inch taller. I'm always going to walk out with my crutches. I'm always going to have to tailor my pants, no matter what, which shop I go to. And no matter where I go, this physical image of who I am is going to sit with everybody. And that's how everybody are seeing me. They're not going to see the intelligence of me until mm-hmm. I tell them, hey, look, I'm a doctor and here's what I accomplished. Here are my certification. What they're going to see is the external image of who I am. Okay. So that brings up a whole nother thing. Like since COVID came and we're spending all this time online, at least for me, as you know, I have races on my hands. I have the problems with my legs. Like people don't see my hands in the screen. I don't see your legs. Have you experienced a change in how people treat you since we're, we've mostly been on Zoom for quite some time? Interestingly, I haven't. I have noticed that no matter how people are seeing me, they, they see me the same way. They listen to me. They're absorbing the intellectual aspects of who I am. And until I share the fact that I walk with crutches and people would be in awe and it would be like an additional inspiration for them on top of the intellectual uh, wisdom I'm sharing on Zoom or on podcast or anywhere I go. So it's interesting how this physical appearance or the first impression can shift our perspective of the story that we live in. Right. So I think what I thought I heard you say was that you didn't notice a difference between in-person versus Zoom. And so what I think I'm hearing you saying is, is as long as you open up and have these conversations, people really don't care if you have a disability. As long as you are owning it and this is who I am, yes, my legs don't work right. They don't really care. Nobody cares. <laughs> they really, they, they really don't. Care. don't. <laughs> they really, they really don't. I mean, I don't know. Everyone's well get somebody looking at me, but you know, I think it's neat to have someone else. I think it, they only care in my mind, when I cared. Yes. Then it mattered. Now that I don't care as much, they don't care as much. Now that I see me, they see me. Like, isn't that interesting, especially with disabilities and acquired disabilities? And and I think a lot of people also um, hesitate to use the word disability. I don't know if in your experience, because a lot of people avoid using disability with me. Really? Yeah. So when they, when every time I go out, they don't want to use disability. They would describe, oh, you're different. They hesitate to use the word disability. And in the past, you know, I know there's a lot of controversial about using handicap because it's the word that triggers a lot of that emotion. Right. But like you said, Mm -hmm. they only matter if you let them matters in your mind. Yeah. The only one that I do have trouble with the word disabled, not disability though, because disability is implying that there is one ability that is, that doesn't work. Whereas disabled seems like this final, you're non-operable. And I think that because of how we learn English and what dis means and able means, and by putting that together and how we disable alarms and things like that, there is this additional bias that those of us with disabilities have to overcome when we're using the word disabled on paperwork and government stuff, you know, things like that. I don't know. What are your thoughts? My biggest trigger word was 
disability in the sense that when they said when they describe me oh it's that this disability woman over there or it's that it's that woman over there so they almost identify put a label of disability on me i didn't really get the disabled portion of it because i don't consider like you said i don't consider myself disabled right I, i'm not i'm not like a machine you disable something or you dismantle right. something right I think that's why I have a problem. That's why I have a problem with that word. <laughs> so I mean, but yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you're describing me as disability, but that's kind of the same way of describing a lot of things. But if I don't identify to it, you can just say whatever you want, handicapped, disabled, that's just not me. You can feel however you want to say it. <laughs> But yeah, I do agree that disabled, it feels like, are you going to dismantle me? Right. Yeah. You're uh, discarded at the junkyard type thing because you no longer work. You know, that's that can be. But I also think there's the other side of that word, right? That especially for those that need social security disability and, and things like that, where if I don't identify with that, it can be a slippery slope because then safety, financial safety and things like that can be taken away or not even given if you're unwilling to acknowledge, oh, I'm quote unquote disabled, not I have disability. So interesting how you brought that up because in the past, I refuse to dis- identify myself with disability. So there's a lot of benefit that I was missing because I refuse to identify myself as disability. And so I didn't realize that there's so many benefits that you are entitled to. I wouldn't say entitled. Entitled to is a little, yeah, a different word. Well, yeah, because there's a hefty price we pay to have a disability in this society. And there's a significant cost too. So I think I understand where you're coming from with that word. And I also agree. I'm not sure it's the right word, but I don't know what else to use in right. what you're trying to say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a better way of describing it. But, but I feel that, you know, because I'm disabled or dis- have disability, there are certain things that in reality, it would just make so much, make my life so much easier. For example, applying for a placard, right? Parking a little closer when I'm having, when I'm struggling with my back pain, my back hurts. And some of the things that little, little things that it really wouldn't cause anybody any harm to allow myself giving myself the permission to what this is where I'm at. This is what my body is saying to me. And therefore I'm going to ask to stay in front of the line. I'm going to ask for a more convenient way of parking. I don't want to fall in the rain. So maybe it's time to ask to be able to have a privilege parking. It's just little things like that. I think I refuse to identify myself to that. I wasn't doing the asking. Well, and I think it's also not set up to invite the ask, right? So like going to the front of the line, there's not a sign if disabled, please come, or if you have a disability, please come to the front of the line. It's like we walk up there and then the people in line get like, what is going on? How come they get in? Especially with me, because I don't have, you know, I I can still walk, not long distances, but I can still walk and people see me and they assume, especially if I'm, my hands are, if it's winter and they can't really see my arms, they just assume that I can stand Mm -hmm. and then they get 
mad or upset and they're like, how come she gets this? It, it's really hard. I think we're not the only ones who have thought, oh, do I really want to use that? Do I want to say I have this disability? When I use my placard, people judge me and they're going to judge me anyway. And so I think for me, I've just had to, this is not a loving thing to say, but I, in some ways it is. It's like, I just had to get over it and accept that for me, I needed to show that self-love and for them let them have those feelings and they get to experience it and deal with it in their life. And sometimes it takes, gets taken out on me. I don't know if you've had that experience and sometimes it doesn't. I, I started, I think what changed for me is I started to, instead of thinking that th- this is a disability, I started to think of it as a gift. And every one of us have a gift. We have our magic, right? Even the people who's waiting in the line and they have to wait their turn, they have their own gift and magic. Right? There is something that they're so special about who they are. And for me, this is a magic. This is a talent. This is a gift. And for me, in order to make it easy for myself, I, I like to think of it as giving myself permission to, to use my magic, to use my talent. Oh. And if it means that I need to be able to go through the line to the front of the line, it's just who I am. That's just who I am. Yeah. That's really beautiful. It's because I'm reminded of Marshall B. Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication. And I can't remember if it was in one of his tape, not tapes, but recordings or, or if it was in the book. And he talks about going to the neighbor as if you're Santa Claus to ask for sugar because it really is a gift. And I think he talks about how that gift of asking then creates the, the they're able to give we're able to connect, they feel good about what they did. And I think that's what you're talking about is it's an opportunity to say, I need some help and let someone else feel good about it. Yeah. And every one of us have that service, that heart of service. We come, we want to help. And by lowering our, we call it the vulnerability, right? Being vulnerable and lowering our wall, letting our wall down, we're actually helping the other person to exercise their act of service. And that's how this whole world is in a balance because we're helping each other out. And there's always going to be a need for from every individual, right? Right now, maybe I have a need and, and I'm lowering my wall so that you can help me. And there's going to be other times that someone else going to lower their wall down and you're going to be able to help them. So it's that contribution of what we were really meant to do on this earth that will allow all of us to coexist in a more harmonious way. Yeah. But how did you get from where it wasn't a gift, like to seeing it as a gift? What was that transition like? It was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you said that. It was horrible. (laughs) Years and years of feeling rejected, feeling that I didn't belong anywhere, feeling that I was having a lot of burnout and being discriminated. There's years of that. And finally coming to a point where I just told myself, this is not the way I want to live in. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night feeling like angry or sad or depressed. And I don't want to cry myself to sleep every single night feeling that I wish 
there's a different pair of leg that I can install somehow magically or sci-fi way of attaching your leg to, to your body. <laughs> some, some type of magic that will come and take my soul away and I implant into a new body. It doesn't work that way. So what can I do, right? What can I do tomorrow? I don't want to wake up this way. I don't want to live this way. And so the first thing I did, it, it took me miles and miles of journey to actually figure this out. So I started to work out more. I said, well, I don't want to keep gaining weight because, you know, leg weight, that's just not a good combo, right? All together. Because you right. wanted to make sure that your body weight is not going to uh, put any, any more pressure on your legs. So I started to work out a little more exercise. I started out with a balancing ball. And then I said, my diet is not helping me. So I actually put myself on a very strict diet. I only consume certain calories amount every single day. And I remember my colleague used to say, Michelle, is that all you're going to eat? I'm like, yeah, I'm on a strict diet. And I limit my to uh, 900 calories, 1000 calories. It was a very extreme way of keeping an eye out to my health. And finally, when my weight was not budging, I decided to sign up to a gym. The next thing you know, I bought myself a ticket, flew myself across South America to hike Machu Picchu through the Inca Trail with my two crutches. <laughs> I love it. It was that extreme. <laughs> But when you did that, after going to the, do you think it was part of like going to the gym helped bring back or give you that self-esteem so that you could go hike the mountain? I, I think it's a combination of both. I wanted to prove myself wrong. I want to prove to myself that I can do things just like a normal individual. And by going back to the gym, I also realized that, oh, it, it is not true that I cannot use the machine at the gym. I can totally adapt to it. And I think one of the great things about having disability is that we're very adaptable, right? We yeah. adapt to the environment. So I, I learned how to adapt to a gym environment and started to walk on the treadmill rather than run. I started to do more weights, lifting more weights. And I hire a personal trainer just to keep an eye out for me so I don't actually hurt myself. So there's a number of pieces that put together on top of what I was personally dealing with in terms of proving myself wrong and wanting to overcome that imposter syndrome that I was having to myself. So that combination led to the hiking of Machu Picchu. Yeah. <laughs> and you successfully hiked that mountain then. Yeah, wow. it, was, it was no joke. My, my wrist was like burning, dying every single day. I would have to hike 10 hours. Most people hike like eight hours. They're good. But in order for me to get there, because I walk very slow and very short, because a lot of steps are really big. So in order for me to get there to the camp day one, I end up waking up five o'clock in the morning and hike the whole 10 hours. And it's like constantly pushing down on the crutches. So by the time I got to the campsite, my wrists were burning and I was just exhausted. And it was the most beautiful experience I ever had. Well, I'm thinking that was part of your transformative experience, that that's why there's this sense of contentment that you have now that, or, or what I called peace and ease, I think earlier, but that because you chose that struggle, knowing that you were already not quote unquote normal is if that's a good, I think that's a good word. I think sometimes there's a difference between a chosen struggle and and a given struggle. I think both of them allow us to take that journey inside of us on different levels. 
Like, I, I don't know. I just think that on some level, you'd already gotten through that. And then to prove it to yourself, you had to go do that. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting about the struggle. I think the struggle, there's always a choice behind the struggle, right? And it's how we want to decide which way we choose. Because when you look at struggle, sometimes I like to use the analogy of a coin. If you imagine the struggle is a coin, there's you, you flip it, there's always a 50-50 chance of landing on one side. The, the side that is the head, maybe you're not going to do anything about the struggle. Or the other one would be you actually act on the struggle and figure it out. You, know, you have the word stay curious. You stay curious about what this struggle means to you and what do you need to learn about this struggle. So mm-hmm. behind that, every struggle, there's always a choice. Even the no action is a choice. We choose not to take any actions. So I think going to Machu Picchu, it's the time where I realize that I can choose. I don't have to be here and feel like I am the victim of the tragedy of the car accident. I have a choice. I can choose the way I want to live. That's beautiful what you just said right there, that you can choose. You know, I think it was the other day I posted on Facebook. Maybe it was only yesterday. I don't know. But I said, disability does not change dreams. And so many times I think with acquired disabilities, especially that there's this idea that now we're worthless or something. And I think with maybe people who've had them a bit longer, they've probably gotten time to work through that. Or if they've had it from birth, they just don't know any different. Well, they probably, well, they see other people, but for them, their own bodies, like, I think there's a couple of different perspectives, but I think that's really this beautiful message that I'm hearing from you is the disability didn't change that you had dreams and you still found a way. Like the, one of the things you said earlier was that we're really good at adapting people with disabilities. We are. And I think that that's something that a lot of people without physical disabilities forget. And what a benefit, because if we're already used to adapting and you put somebody like us in another environment and ask questions we're going to think of things that other people haven't thought of just because we're different. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And I, I have this like real experience where I go someplace and people feel stuck. Oh, what do we do? I'm like, I got you. And like, for example, at work, like there's places where I can't reach. So I would pull a step stool to get me to, to a higher ground, higher place. Right. So like my colleague wouldn't think of that. My colleague wouldn't be thinking, oh, I can't reach it. And let me grab something else. They don't, their mind don't go to there. They, they're just thinking, oh, I can't reach it. I'm just going to forget about it. No, you have tools. You got tools that you can use, right? So use your tools. And tools. I mean, when you say the word tools, I'm thinking emotional and physical tools, right? Like for you and me, we've got to figure out how to do something. Me, it's usually it's a lot of times it's getting somebody else with hands <laughs> that work properly. But a lot of times like, you're like the people who are capable, they don't think about, oh, like I can, if I just do this, maybe then this will become available to me. But also I think with disability, it's so easy to get stuck in that victim mindset, which again, like that person without a disability, that's not thinking I can get a stool is in that moment. I think sitting in that victim mindset, oh, it's too bad. It's too high. I can't do it. That also, so we get there too. It just seems like with disability, I feel like it, we get there so much, like a lot of, I, I, I think what I'm trying to say is so many people with disabilities forget that there's a choice. 
I mean, I know I did for many, many years forgot I had a choice. And I think that's something that you're out in the world really sharing. Guess what? There's a choice and you don't have to go climb Machu Picchu to, to be able to show that there's a choice. There's something beautiful in the ordinary. Yes. In the day-to-day living. Oh, look at your face. You guys, her face just was like, yes. Like when she said it, it was like this peaceful. Yes. (laughs) I, I, sometimes I imagine people like we all have disability. That's just put it that way. Everybody, every single one of us, no matter your, you, you have a physical disability or not, you are just this disability is just for everybody. Right. There's something they're not good at or something they don't feel that they're good at. It's a feeling that they're not good at something. And that to Uh me is a disability in in itself, right? There's something that we feel dysfunctional. I would agree. So if we're coming out from the same level, that makes everybody ordinary. And, but the idea that you have a choice to live an extraordinary life, Mm. you're not ordinary at all. You're extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, noticing differences in people is smart. Noticing similarities is wise. And all of us have that extraordinary peace inside of us. And that's what's similar is there's that light inside of every single person on this earth. And it's up to us to uncover it and to see it and to share it. Yeah. It's so beautiful realization, but it took so long. Yeah, it does. I think that too, I had someone call me recently with the same diagnosis as I have. And the only thing I could say was it's going to be hard and it's going to be okay. I'm here. I will sit with you. I cannot make you go through this journey any faster (laughs) than you're going to go through it, but I can, and I can let you know the tools that work for me. But other than that, I can just sit with you. And I think too, that's part of that compassion that we have to have for people and where they're at in their journey. And it's okay to be in the part of the journey where you're feeling like a victim. And we really, I say, it's not going to last forever. Mm. I hope it won't last forever for you. Like that type of just, it's so hard because we can't make anybody do anything. But you know, honestly, when you're making me cheery, because I, I remember in the days, in the old day where I was feeling sorry for myself or feeling like a victim, I, I wasn't expecting anyone to do anything for me. I, I was really just looking for someone to sit with me. I just want someone to be there with me, not doing the things for me, but just be there for me. Yeah. Yeah. And just asking, what do you need? Yeah. 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 And that's all I was asking. And when I wasn't getting that, I started to seek out, like going out there to seek my own solution. But thinking back, had I had somebody who come during my most vulnerable time and said, Michelle, I can't do this for you, but I'm going to sit with you. That would have been the most profound, powerful thing that anyone could have said to me. So you're making me teary. And just to our listeners, hear that. I think is a beautiful message what Michelle is saying, how much that would mean. And so if you're capable in this moment and someone else is feeling incapable, there's no need to fix it. Just be there. Be love. So that's all that. Yeah. I don't know how else to end it. (laughs) To say it. Yeah. Yeah. Just be there for that person. And you don't have to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Silence is gold. There's something that happens energetically between people, I think. 
and in that silence that wouldn't happen otherwise. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on the show. You can find Michelle at elevatelifecoaching.org. She's got a podcast, The Michelle Quay Show. She's clearly a beautiful spirit inside and out. And I'm just so grateful to have had you on the show. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you so much, Angela. Hey everyone, Angela Talent here, host of the Relatively Damaged Podcast, and something you didn't know, I'm a poet. I'm the author of Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. As you may know, Cicero once said, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Well, I say a soul without poetry hasn't lived. Buy my book on Amazon, Poems from a Lost Soul by Angela Talent. Thanks so much, and leave a review. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Michelle about how she has learned to see the benefits of her challenges. We especially liked when she spoke about how she creatively problem solves. Tonight with other damaged people, connect with us on Twitter. Look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.